Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is brought to you by ESPN. Saturdays are for college football, apparently. And Saturday, December 29th is the Saturday of all Saturdays. It's the college football playoff. Who's playing? Great question. It's Alabama versus Oklahoma and Notre Dame versus Clemson. Those are all colleges, by the way, and they've got really good football teams. And they'll all be competing for the national championship. It's on ESPN, and it's streaming live on the ESPN app. Watch it. But only after you've listened to this season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held. Believe me, it'll be a whole new experience. Welcome back to Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger, and this is part two of our deep dive into the state of pay. Say hello to each other. Hello to each other. Oh my gosh, Abby Wambach, it is an honor. Abby Wambach is a soccer legend. She's currently the highest all-time goal scorer for the U.S. Women's National Team. She holds the world record for international goals scored for both male and female soccer players. She has two Olympic gold medals and a World Cup. And she's been named U.S. Soccer Athlete of the Year six times. She retired in 2015, and it was at that point that she realized she should have done a lot more to fight for better pay. I've played on the women's national team for about 15 years and had one of the kind of experiences when I retired. You know, when I was involved in playing and fighting for better contracts and better pay and better treatment throughout my career, when I retired, I was instantly aware of how much more I think I probably should have done. And I think a lot of women have this experience when they step away from, from their, their career. I had the luxury of being able to do that at 35. And many women have that experience much later on in their life. So when I stepped away from the game, I had this unique experience of being on stage next to Kobe Bryant and Peyton Manning, who deserved every dollar that they earned. But we were all given the same award at the end of our careers, this Icon SB Award uh, for the ESPYs during, during the ESPN nationally televised show. And when we walked off stage, you know, on stage, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I, I feel like we women everywhere, we finally made it, right? And then when we walked off stage, I had this very important moment for my life, realizing, oh, wow, all three of us were walking into very different careers. And I I understand that a lot of women can look at what I did as a career and that I'm in the 1% and that I am different. But the truth is my story is every woman's story. And I think talking about it and making sure that people are aware that even in the highest levels of earning for women, the pay disparity is still rampant and still there. And I think that the moment that I walked off stage and realized that I got pretty angry, not just at myself for maybe not having done as much as I could have done, but I got angry for all women everywhere because this is the way that the world has been. From that moment, I have taken step by step to try to ensure 
not just promoting and, and talking about this disparity, this wage gap between men and women, but I've been putting myself in environments of learning and of trying to create a better existence for women everywhere. So I knew that the treatment of women was very vast and different than men throughout my career. I was very aware of now I needed to actually start to earn money for the rest of my life. I had to recreate a, a new career for myself to be able to pay my mortgage and pay my bills. And that moment was really big. And I want to follow up just on something you said there, because you said after you retired and you realized that you had to start earning money and make a career change. And that's something that we've heard from a lot of athletes and sports journalists that we've spoken to is that when all athletes retire, they kind of have to pivot. I think that I can explain this in two different parts. The initial understanding and awareness around needing to recreate myself and the feelings that I had then were terror. Uh, and I think a lot of women feel this, in, in not just in sports, in, in every industry. And that terror has kind of allowed me to surface anger and to surface passion and to surface more purpose for what I want to continue doing forward in, in my life. And then I kind of went out on a, a journey of experience and trying to figure out what I was good at and what I wanted to do and to marry those two. And so I found myself in a program to help me understand that. Uh, it's called LifeWork Design to uh, allow me access the things that I was skilled at and allowed me access to things that I was passionate about that I wanted to do and enjoyed doing. And I think that that for me was one of the most valuable exercises because I think so often, especially with women and women in sport, I had done one thing for a long time and I only thought that maybe I was going to be valuable in that one way. And so when I stepped away from playing, that's where the terror gets involved because it's like, well, what the heck am I going to do? I, I'm scared. i how am I going to make money? How am I going to? And so this program, this, this exercise that I did allowed me access to all the things that I was actually skilled at in playing that would allow me to move forward in a, in a different way, in a different industry, in business. For me, the terror accompanied with educating myself about really what my skills were so that I could marry that with my passions in life were kind of the most important things that I learned in the transition from my playing career to my business career. And, you know, I guess the rest, as they say, is history. But I'm at the very beginning part of building my businesses and building the things that I want to have a fingerprint on moving forward in my life. From the outside, it looks super seamless and you never really get to know the inside of what that journey is like. So I really appreciate you sharing that because, again, following you on Instagram and seeing, you know, how players make this transition seems so organic. Let me add this. Let me add these two points. Number one, uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, women struggling to have saved enough money to support them after their careers. And it's virtually impossible. I mean, I think that there might be a handful of women who play professional sports that won't have to recreate themselves. This is what I'm dedicating the rest of my life to, is to make sure that the players who retire after me don't have that same level of terror. But Abby admits that working with athletes from different sports means grappling with different sets of baggage. For example, the U.S. women's soccer team is a nonprofit. The WNBA is a for-profit. That means that teaching women to negotiate looks different across the board. There's no one-size-fits-all solution. When you talk about the WNBA, 
and the U.S. women's soccer team, you're talking about the governing bodies of those two different separate entities. Now, the difference between the U.S. soccer team is that it's a non-for-profit entity. Their mission isn't just to grow the game for men's soccer. So the basis of all of our contract negotiations was about growing the game. And you have to equally distribute funds that come in for all the little girls out there. You have to see each entity that they're different, but we're all fighting for the same thing because I believe that the WNBA women deserve pay increases and deserve more money than they're getting. But I also think that there has to be an understanding, and I get the argument. I really do. I understand the logic behind more people go to certain games for men's teams, and so those players should be compensated more but you have to actually go higher up. Are we just going to continue down the same path and keep things exactly the same? Or do we actually want to evolve as, as a species? And are we actually telling our daughters that they are less than because more people go watch the men's games than the women's games? And, and the answer to that is an unequivocal no. Men are not more important than women because their games are attended by more people. And it takes time, and I understand that the evolution of women's sports has been great, but you have to realize it's basically come from nothing. So while the context of each sport does matter, there is one thing that allowed U.S. soccer to get better pay and conditions. Because we have this one thing that not many other leagues have, and that's solidarity. Our women's team has been uh, unified for a long time, and because of that, we've made massive gains over the last 25, 30 years of the inception of the women's national team. And because of that, other teams, other leagues can look at us as a form of, hey, look at what the women's soccer team is doing. It's possible. And it is no surprise to me that our women's soccer team gets 20,000, 30,000 people at games, gets millions of people watching on television, because when you actually deliver and you you pay women, the product gets better. And when the product gets better, because these women don't have to have other jobs and they can do only their one craft, people will watch. But how did they get there? That solidarity that Abby mentioned, it happened like this. So back in 1999, after the U.S. women won the World Cup, you know, that one with Mia Hamm and Brandi Chastain ripping off her shirt and sliding across the field in a sports bra. So here's, here's what's beautiful about this. What ended up happening after that is that the Sydney Olympics was happening in 2000. And the women got together as a collective unit and they said, we need to fight for better pay. We need a livable wage. They weren't earning a livable wage, and they had just literally set the world on fire with this win. So they collectively united and went on strike against U.S. soccer for better pay, for better treatment and contracts. And I'll tell you this. There were women who were on the team that were scared, right, because you are now putting yourself in jeopardy of not going to your first and maybe only Olympic Games. There were women who really struggled to get on the same page with the rest of the team, rightfully so, because maybe they weren't at the the top of the team. Maybe they weren't getting endorsement deals. Maybe they were comfortable having what they were getting. And that is understandable, too, because scarcity is a real thing inside of every woman out there that it's like, okay, if this is my only chance, I don't want to ruin it. So 
what ended up happening is that these women, they, they unified, and there were still some outliers that were scared, rightfully so. So I got this phone call from a senior national team player, and she said, hey, listen, if you get called in to go to the U23 camp, we would have taken a place of the women's national team at this one tournament in the Algarve Cup. She said, if you say no, it will be better for our team. It will be better for you. You will be saying no to your future. So I got the phone call, and I said, no, I'm not going in. I'm, I'm standing in solidarity, solidarity with the women. And because of that, the women were able to secure better pay. They were able to secure a livable wage, and they were able to go to the Olympics in Sydney in 2000. Now, these times, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, these are the scariest times for any person, whether you're striking for better pay in your factory job or, or you are standing up for yourself in your own job individually and you're, you're asking for better pay. It is a scary, scary endeavor, no, no matter what. But because the women stood together and were able to secure better pay, better contracts, insurance, right, pregnancy leave, they, there were so many things that they were able to secure that they would not have been able to do if they didn't do it together. That was the culture that was set when I stepped into the national team. So every time the contracts came back up for renegotiating, we all had to collectively come together. Now, it wasn't easy, and everybody didn't always agree on every topic, but because we, we agreed to, at the end of every internal conversation, we agreed to agree on something so that we could move forward, so that we can get better pay, that we can get these better contracts, we were able, and the, the team has able to continually, successfully increase their, their contracts every single negotiation that's ever happened with U.S. soccer. And I think that that is a, a lost art in a lot of ways. Um, and the problem when you talk about the corporate world, women are siloed. You know, they don't have their network of women. They don't have their team, so to speak, around them. And that's what I'm kind of trying to do right now. When you find a good working relationship with your employer, then good things will happen. And I think that they've created a good working relationship. And we had, for a long, long period of time, created a great working relationship with U.S. soccer. While the women's team has a great relationship with U.S. soccer, FIFA is a different story. FIFA is the governing body of international soccer, and they don't adhere to the same kind of standards that U.S. soccer does, despite the world stage. So, for example, they recently increased the prize money for the 2019 Women's World Cup. And it was like, wow, this is great. You know, we're making headway. The sad factor and the sad fact that we've learned is that they actually increased the men's prize money so much so that they actually increased the wage gap between the men and the women's champion which is a startling and disappointing realization. The president of FIFA said, quote, it's a very important message for women's football. It will certainly boost this World Cup even more, end quote. However, he failed to mention that the men's prize money increased to $440 million, while the prize money for the Women's World Cup was raised to $30 million. Though we are gaining ground, though we are earning money, FIFA has such little respect for the women that they're actually just increasing the men so much so that the wage gap is getting larger, not smaller. And, and it's just it's such a disappointing moment for, for the game because women's football is getting better. The tournament, the team, there's more teams in the tournament. The teams are getting better. The games are going to be amazing. It's going to be an amazing summer in France this next summer. 
and I'm excited to watch, but I can't help but feel bad because, and I know that these things take time, but it's, it's frustrating when you make certain headway in your own country and then you go to the world game, the, the, the biggest tournament of your career. Um, and it's not like FIFA doesn't have the money. And, and also, you know, FIFA's mission is to grow the game globally. It is not to grow the men's game globally. One of the most glaring things that happened was in 2015 when we were forced to play on the artificial field turf, you know, the, the fields that have the rubber pellets in it. And it was a huge problem for us in terms of when, when we realized that this was going to happen, we actually filed a lawsuit against FIFA claiming, you know, discrimination against women. They would never have the men play on an artificial surface field. And, you know, unfortunately, the timing of our lawsuit was such that there was going to be no judgment until after the World Cup was played, so we dropped the lawsuit. And that's just one small thing. The others, I mean, I could name a billion of them, I swear. Not getting the same kind of prize money, being forced to play in different stadiums, and the marketing dollars that get doled out for the women's game are vastly different than for the Men's World Cup. TV rights when you feel like your employer actually cares about you and is actually investing in you, not just like putting a Band-Aid on any situation that shows up, not just saying, oh, well, we have to do this because otherwise it'll bring our whole entity and the brand of our whole entity down. You know, it's infuriating. And I think that the gender pay gap is a big issue worldwide. You know, I think that we have to take methodical steps in order to get rid of it. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Abby. I'm a soccer fan. Are you a soccer fan? I would love to hear your opinions about this episode, my conversation with Abby, and of course, the state of pay in women's sports. I'm at Pop Culture Pirate on Instagram and at Pop Cult Pirate on Twitter. Hit me up. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. This episode was produced by Andy Taylor and edited by Priscilla Mina for Refinery29. Meg Weck was our researcher, and we recorded with Paul Ruest at Argo Studios. Stay tuned. There's another episode coming up right after this. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.